The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called Mercy. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy more than a show. It's an opportunity for prayer called Pray Station Portable. It's the Liturgy of the Hours or the Divine Office of the Church in convenient audio form that you can pray along with. You can find that wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash PSP. Before we talk about Picard, I just want to mention something that's uh, come up, which is that Paramount Plus has a new version of Star Trek The Motion Picture mm. available. Which has now uh, even less boring, maybe. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> well, they've they've uh, got new visuals, new. They've mm-hmm. uh, redone some of the uh, uh, color correction, but also they've redone some of the um, uh, special effects. And I think they've edited yeah, it a little differently. That, that was never yeah. the problem. The special effects and the colors and and the that was never the problem with Star Trek: The Motion Picture. No, no, I I, I haven't seen it myself, but some people said they have edited it. A little differently too, mm-hmm. so that it's not quite as it's the long uh, and director's director's cut, the director's cut <laughs> yeah. of the director's cut, or the, no. <laughs> the, the director's cut uh, did improve. Yes. Yeah. So a number of years ago, they came out with a, a, a recut version that was better than the theatrical version. So we didn't spend seven minutes visually touring the exterior of the Enterprise in space dock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. They. Uh, yeah. They. The um, I'm trying to look at uh, what exactly they changed, but you know, it whatever it's um, it's in 4K. That's a, a big element of it. So now you get the big. It looks prettier. V-ger it looks prettier. In 4K. Yeah, um, but yeah, just I thought I'd mention it because it's Star Trek news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about Mercy, Jimmy. Can you give us a recap of Mercy? Last time, Fox Mulder arrested Guinan and Picard. This time, he takes them to his FBI basement room and interrogates them. Picard reveals the truth about his plan, but only after a confidence-building exercise with Mulder. It turns out that he's been on an alien hunt. He, Mulder, has been on an alien hunting quest since he was a boy because aliens took his sister, Samantha. I mean, because he encountered Vulcans in the wood while looking for his dog. Now that Picard and Mulder trust each other, Mulder both suddenly gets fired from the FBI and lets Picard and Guinan go. Guinan also reveals to Picard and that Q finally showed up, and she discovered he was dying, and that everything that's happening is somehow due to that. Q also has given Adam Sung's, Sung's clone daughter, Kore, the real antidote for her condition. She takes it and walks out on her fake father. Queen Agnes shows up and makes a deal with Soong. If he helps her uh, get the materials she needs to start assimilating people and stop Picard and the Europa mission, she'll leave Earth and let him become the father of Earth's dystopian future. Meanwhile, back at La Serena, Crystal Ball and Teresa are getting romantic and they even kiss. 
He then discovers that the transporter is locked with a Borg interrupt code. When he reports this to the rest of the gang, they realize that Queen Agnes will be coming to try to take over La Serena so she can get off the planet, and she won't be coming alone. That turns out to be true, as the last thing we see is Queen Agnes starting to assimilate a bunch of ex-Special Forces military personnel to aid in the assault as her new collective. The end. So, um, if only the La Serena was a spaceship and could fly to where they are and pick them up. Anyway. Uh, that's, that's skipping. That's getting ahead. I, I, one interesting thing is I know it's a coincidence, but it is fascinating to me that the episode mercy came as we were heading into divine mercy Sunday. I yep. just thought mm-hmm. that was a fascinating little coincidence. I'm sure it has nothing. It was not planned or anything. Uh, anyway. Um, so yes, we get this scene, this opening scene, this teaser of the boy running through the woods, um, uh, in the dark and running from something falls, picks up his flashlight and these Vulcans are standing right there, uh, sort of a la Star Trek first contact. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so we have that. And then we'll come back to revisit that later because we don't know who the kid is at this point or anything like that. So um, by the end of the episode, we realize it's uh, Agent Wells, a.k.a. Fox Mulder. Um, he now we we're in the present, quote unquote, present time. Um, Wells has got. Uh, Picard and Guinan, and he's convinced they're aliens who've come to sabotage the Europa mission. And it tells them that they're not on the official books. He's got them in this basement room and they're not in the system. They're not, you know, well, being. Yeah. I like how this episode illustrates the fact that Guinan is from a race of listeners, mm-hmm. meaning she's very, very observant. Yes. And this this episode really highlights that fact more than any other Guinan episode before. I mean, not just in this, but in Next Gen as well, because she r- repeatedly picks up on things that Agent Wells is not saying. Like she's mm-hmm. sitting in the room and she says, so this is a really off the books operation, isn't it? We're here in a basement, not in an office. Um, that camera over in the corner isn't even hooked up. And you haven't done the following. And she deduces from her powerful observation skills that there are no records being made of this meeting. This is really off the books. And he confirms that that's true. Right. And and even as Picard like is denying the, you know, this is this crazy story. And then uh, Wells plays the uh, hands, the transcript of. Uh, Crystal, uh, Crystal uh, Rios's mm-hmm. confession, quote unquote, from the the uh, uh, ice lockup the, of what's really going on. And, and, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a confession as such. Yeah. Rios just told the truth, assuming no one would believe him. Yes, right. But and they got it on tape, <laughs> including what a yeah. cranky old admiral or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's who's sort of a robot now. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of robot now. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and and. Um, well, let's talk about the, 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 this Wells thread of the story, because we jump back and forth throughout. Um, yeah. In my notes, I actually divided it into the different plot threads. Yeah. Uh, I find that easier than trying to keep track of everything in chronological order. So Wells separates Guinan and Picard, which is the normal sort of thing you're supposed to do from the beginning. And I'm not sure why right. he didn't separate them from the beginning, but that's for story purposes. But he ends up separating her. And then another FBI agent comes in, quote unquote, and it turns out to be Q and posing, you know, wearing an FBI garb. And he remembers her, but she hasn't met him yet. 
So this is mm-hmm. Hugh from the 25th century, 24th. Right. right. I can never keep 25th now. 25th now. Yep. Okay. And uh, she said, you're using her perception skills, like you mentioned, senses emptiness and fear in Q, which she then realizes is him dying. And we have this interesting conversation about death. Like he, because first, Q th- he's as confused Cause, as anyone cause, else. Because writers love conversations about death. <laughs> they do. And, and he confesses that at first he didn't realize that Q could die, but he's kind of excited by this because um, eternal existence is kind of boring for him, I guess. And uh, it, it, this kind of reminded me a little bit of The End of the Good Place, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. This idea of sure. the, the uh, uh, eternal existence gets boring. The lame ending of an otherwise great show. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It what it reminded me of was Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead from Doctor Who because mm. when they um, when they go there uh, in, at the beginning of the first episode of the two parter, um, Donna is Noble is asking the Doctor. So we're on this planet that's uh, uh, that's just one big library. It's got books on everything so what's your favorite section and the doctor is talking about the biography section and she's like oh great yeah a death on the last page of every book Mm. and and the doctor makes this speech which sets up the themes that will be explored in the two-parter about death gives uh life scope and meaning and if you don't have a death to define a life then um it has less meaning and so q is excited now that he's or had been excited at the prospect of his death, because now that he has a finite amount of time left, he's wanting it to give him purpose Mm. instead of just being an immortal dilettante that, Mm -hmm. you know, is just a wastrel that does nothing and has no purpose. Now he can have a purpose since he's got a finite existence. Only it hasn't worked out that way for him. He's, Mm. he's still unsatisfied because he's been waiting for his purpose and it hasn't shown up. Right. It it sort of reminds me of that Voyager episode where he's they visit the continuum and it's a bunch of people mm-hmm. sitting around doing nothing because it's right. eternity. Why do anything? At a, at a gas station in the desert. Right. He mm-hmm. says he, he felt at first like he was on the threshold of the unknowable. It, you know, and it was mm-hmm. something new after an eternity of existence. But um, now it just feels like he's fading into nothing because he's been not been given a purpose, which is, you make you wonder who's giving the purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and he repeatedly snaps his finger at Guinan and says, "I am literally trying to annihilate you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, and then he says, "The this experiment that is ongoing in this season is his on Picard is his last act." And I'm uh, thinking, is it his attempt to find meaning? Did, uh, does meaning come with a finite lifespan? Is that is that no, where? That's, that's just a TV myth. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's that's the thing. Is like he's trying to say that that's what meaning comes from finality and in and ending but you know as we know from a christian perspective yeah that's just a chapter ending right right it's just just the the end of the preface uh there's Mm -hmm. more much more meaning to come um then q also says dying stars burn brighter and i'm like Depends. Do they, though? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> it sort of depends. They on the main sequence, they get bigger, and they get the, the like our white our white dwarf's son will eventually become a red giant. But bigger doesn't mean brighter. It's actually going to be cooler, right? Yeah. One thing that 
it bothers me a little bit, by the way, but with this cue is he seems to be able to do all kinds of things that a regular human being wouldn't be able to do yet, like sneak into the FBI place, mm-hmm. make this cure for Corey. Yet he doesn't have his powers. So how is he I, doing this? I think those were done before he lost his powers. OK, I think he set it up and he's only very recently. I mean, we saw him. Uh, when he realized when he yeah. when he realized I can't do this and uh, for the first time and mm-hmm. he already had a lot of arrangements in place. Well, okay. I, I can also see, you know, I mean, he can be very persuasive. You know, he's he's got, a, you know, literally an eternity of experience of trying to persuade people sure. to do things. So, yeah. I mean, and it, it's not that it wouldn't be that hard for him to try to figure out how to how to get a FBI jacket and badge mm-hmm. or something like that. So, I mean, yeah. And he also, with his IQ of 2000, comes up with really innovative solutions, like mm-hmm. just change the gravitational constant of the universe. <laughs> right. 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 I remember that. It would be interesting, like a, a series of uh, audio stories, like a la Big Finish, of just Q, Q, powerless Q adventures, where he just mm-hmm. has to go on his wits and knowledge to 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 do things. That would be kind of interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so Guinan and, and Picard are put back together again, and... They realize that Wells, the agent, is, they they say, a haunted man stuck in the past. Yeah, which leads them to his boyhood experience in the woods. But first, I wanted to note something about um, about the threat that Agent Wells poses to them. Okay, Um, because we kind of, you know, skipped over that part and went to the guidance stuff. But um, the um, the thing is, so he's a government agent. And Picard realizes we have to convince him, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, we have to convince him that we're not a threat to the Europa mission. It's not going to be enough to just deny stuff and claim we're not aliens, because as long as he thinks we're a threat, if all he has to do is and he and Wells points this out, all he has to do is call NASA and tell them there's a threat and they will scrub the mission. Yeah. And so they so Picard and Guinan need to not just convince him they're innocent. They need to convince him the mission is safe mm-hmm. because otherwise it'll be scrubbed and history will be off course. Right. Um, also, he picked up Picard's communicator that he lost last time and he sends it off to be analyzed. And he says, how long do you think it'll be before my guys determine that that thing is not Earth tech? So the threat is really big here to Earth's history. Um, you know, there are multiple ways the timeline can get off course right now. Right. And um, and I like that as a dramatic element. You know, they've they've got to do they've got to work harder. They 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 mm. somehow have to convince this guy the mission is safe. And the way they ultimately do that is by the trust building exercise. Where um, and 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 the thing that sets up the trust building exercise is interesting because Guinan at this point is still in the other room and she manifests to Picard and Agent Wells as a living apparition, which is a Mm -hmm. real thing. In fact, in parapsychology back in the in 1886, there was a two volume study done by the British Society for Psychical Research on phantasms of the living. Mm. And and she you can see she's really straining to do this and we she's even bleeding from her nose a little bit, but she's in her her locked up in her room after she's had her conversation with Q that turned on the fact that humans are all stuck in the past and she realizes that's a significant line she needs to communicate that to Picard and she forces herself 
to manifest as a living apparition to tell Picard that all humans are stuck in the past. And that gives him the clue he needs for the trust building exercise and says, look, you tell me a truth that you never told anybody before, and I'll tell you the truth, too. And that's when Agent Wells tells about meeting uh, aliens in the woods. And he doesn't know they're Vulcans, of course. Right. He knows that um, that that uh, they the Vulcan put his hand on his head on the young Agent Wells's head in what we would recognize as a mind meld. Mm-hmm. But he didn't know that's what it was. And he interpreted it as some kind of psychic attack or something or even a physical attack or even a physical attack. And then the Vulcan beamed out in the middle of it because that's just when his ship happened to grab him. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and so he didn't get to complete the mind meld and boy Wells never learned what it was. And so he's been perceiving aliens as a threat his entire life and has gone on a very much Fox Mulder like journey. Yeah. yeah, in the FBI, where he is ridiculed, and he's got a he's got this basement room that he has access to. It's not properly his office, like Fox's is in the basement, but mm-hmm. um, but he's he's doing this off the books things because it's not authorized. I wonder if the other agents yeah. call him Spooky Wells. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or HG Wells. Yeah, hey, the HG, HG. Yeah. how's it going? <laughs> um, but uh, but after he reveals that Picard, he Picard says, "So show me how he put his hand on your head," and and Wells like puts his hand on Picard's head on the top of Picard's head, palms down. Right. Palm down and says like he was mm-hmm. pressing into my head with his fingers and stuff. And Picard says, are you sure he didn't do it this way? And Picard puts his hand on Wells's head in the mind meld gesture. And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's what he did. And Picard says he wasn't attacking you. That was a mind meld. He was trying to erase your memory so you wouldn't be burdened your entire life by this memory of having met aliens. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they have. The the child in the traumatic event doesn't remember perfectly what happened. You know, we see right. it because we it's a TV show and they show us the event. But from, in reality, you would your childhood trauma of that of that moment would twist it and show how it, it, it kind of shows how unreliable eyewitness testimony is in mm-hmm. general. And that he doesn't remember exactly how it was. And until he gets it, was it more like this? And then, oh, yeah. And sort of unlocks the real memory of right. of how it actually was for Wells. So I, I well, like that. Well, I think many of us, you know, we look back at incidents from our childhood, whether it is, you know, our, our general how our lives were as a child or, you know, a tragedy like this. And we see things very differently than maybe how they really were. Yeah. You know, we, we I, I can think back in my life. We lived, you know, fairly poor for much of my childhood, but I didn't remember that. I had no clue, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you know, so it's the same thing, like, again, a tragedy where a child might not completely understand what was going on. Right. And it affects him his entire life because of that. And yeah, it's also possible he could remember, but he was exaggerating to communicate to Picard the drama of the situation mm-hmm. from his point of view. Yeah. And Picard corrects him on that exaggeration. Right. So then uh, that's when Picard admits who he is and what he needs from Wells. And then we have this scene where Wells admits, I'm letting you go. I never actually put you in the system. I never sent your communicator off. Um, 
I've been fired. And so I'm not going to keep you around. Yeah. So why did he get fired just now? (laughs) That just kind of comes in out of nowhere. Why does he need to be fired? You know, he could just let him go. Yeah. So I'm not, wasn't sure about that. It seems a little coincidental. Um, Uh, The one other thing that we learned that's significant from this kind of plot line within the episode involving Q and the FBI agent and Picard and Guinan is that, um, that Q said, well, Guinan in talking to Q said, you know, why are you, why have you set this trap for Picard? And Q said, the trap is irrelevant. It's the escape that's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to have some kind of payoff. Right. Right. The, then we Guinan also says around this this point when they get let go is she says um, humans are different because when they're broken it stays with them motivating them to deal with it and evolve and I'm like oh, once yeah. again we have the humans are just better than everyone else in the galaxy yeah, humans <laughs> humans are so special I know it's like okay let remember the Copernican revolution <laughs> yeah let's try to not make it all about humanity yeah yeah there we're not the go. center of the universe we, like it's that it kind of bugs me a little bit with that star trek does this is what they like it's and a babylon big galaxy. 5 does it babylon 5 does it too i mean yeah. oh yep. my minbari people and the other races would never build a station where we could get together and have diplomacy mm. and commerce right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah, if you want to see more of that, just go to the Reddit forum, human or it's HFY humans. F. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's lots of, lots of fan fiction there about how great humans are. Oh, that's, um, good. that's good. But before you, we, uh, before we leave Wells, I, I, I want to mention, you know, last week I, I, I said that, you know, Jay Carnes who played Wells also played yeah. Lieutenant Duquesne of the relativity USS relativity on Voyager. And I think the, and I, and I, I said, I, and I can't remember if both of you agreed or one or the other that they had a good opportunity here where yeah. they could have pulled that character back in and they missed it. Yeah. They completely whiffed on it. Now it's not to say that they can't double back on it. Yeah. They can, you know, they could come back, you know, next episode and say, Oh, by the way, I told you a lie when we were down in that room. I really was not from the 20th century. I did not see Vulcans in the 20th century. I'm actually from, do I think they're going to do that? No, no. I'm not convinced that they have that awareness to say this would be such a great plot line to have this actually be that Lieutenant Duquesne going. Yeah, I came back because we saw this time shift and I came back to help you. I I think the the in one way that might be a mistake because you've already got the watcher. You've got Q. You've got there would be another element of an out of the time, you know, then you get the, 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 the board queen in another out of time element, all jamming into this one time. I could see where you might say, ah, oh, that's, that's just another, we, you know, another thing to jam in there. Well, but then you, if you don't want to raise expectations, don't cast the same actor. Yeah. It is yeah. kind of weird that in, they, they did that. Yeah. Same actor in a role that would fit very well with somebody, say, from the 29th century coming back to wanting to guide Picard in a way that they can do it a little under the yeah. table, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see it. I mean, it's. I mean, it's, 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 it's he's a good actor and I'm, I'm yeah. glad he's glad he's in here. I just I would have liked to have seen something more like that. That's another callback. They could even if it's a little bit of fan service, it, it's yeah. I, I would like to have seen it. Yeah, it's also well, the other thing I was going to say, it's an enterprise thing, which it's not impossible that they would bring it in. But yeah. Uh, all right. So let's talk about Rafi and Seven tracking uh, Agnes, the Queen Agnes. 
Um, okay. We have the, them. Uh, they're outside the bar where uh, Agnes created a to do by breaking the window. And uh, it's this interesting interaction between Raffi and Seven. So we have this romantic thing that they've decided to to build between these characters. And it's not working for them. It's it's no. uh, well, internally or externally, like either <laughs> from inside the story, their relationship isn't working, but also just as a general that I don't think it works. But um, Raffi puts her foot in her mouth when she tells Seven to make like a Borg to track Agnes. Oh, um, wow. Does Seven get mad at that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a bit of a, you just see me as a Borg, as a tool. Uh, she accuses Raffi of being a manipulator who needs yeah, to. She, she says it. Yeah. You manipulate. Everyone has to be exactly what Raffi wants. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we even and, get to see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, because later Raffi admits, yeah, I do that. I am a manipulator. And we flash back to her like a year or so ago when Elnor is a still alive and Mm -hmm. B is looking at going to either going, he was planning to go to Starfleet Academy, but he's got word from the Coat Milat that they need him on this other planet. And so his plan is put off the Academy for a year and go to go serve the Coat Milat and do what he needs to there and then come back. And mm-hmm. Raffi guilts him into, and it's it's passive aggressive. It's like, okay, yeah. well, it's your life. You do what you want. But she guilts him into staying at Starfleet Academy. So he did, and he died. And that's part of what's driving her, that right now it's the guilt that she manipulated Elnor into staying at the Academy, and he died as a result. Yes, mm-hmm. right. And so we have these these two threads of their 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 relationship here of the you're a manipulator and you know i'm i'm a former borg and that kind of that that conflict um and in it's fact a, it's just a different kind of manipulator <laughs> yeah yeah uh and in fact with it, they trace this is this weird thing where uh so queen agnes went with this guy from the bar to kind of uh she's have we get a this long whole time th- well we yeah. get this this thing that kind of the Builds off of what you said last time, Jimmy, which is mm-hmm. um, it, the the motivation is like addiction. She's looking for connection. And it was a connection that didn't satisfy. They, she had an intimate uh, mm-hmm. encounter with yeah. this guy. So and then killed him. The, yeah. So we saw this guy briefly. He never has any lines, but we saw him briefly at the end of the last episode. He was like shooting pool by himself. Yeah. And. And he had a significant look at Agnes and it's like, okay, on this series, anytime someone has a significant look, it's pointing to something in the future. Yes. Um, And and so in this episode, Seven talks to the to the bartender and says, so we're looking for this little blonde girl. And he's like, are you the police? (laughs) And it's like, you don't want to deal with the police and it's like well the people who come here aren't really looking for the police and she says well we're not the police she's my sister and i'm so worried about her and can you tell us anything about where she went and she comes up on the spot with this plausible explanation Mm -hmm. that will satisfy the bartender and this is her tweaking raffi because she's not doing anything borg like she's using insight into human nature right to right. get the information out of the board out of the bartender she's not thinking like a borg and the bartender says well there was this guy with the red beard and she went with him and she went up the street and then turned turned right and so they go up the street they turn right it's an alley they find the body of the guy 
Yeah. And and Seven deduces correctly that she was seeking a connection and she was going to have an intimate encounter with this guy, but it didn't satisfy her. And she was so frustrated she killed him. Mm. Right. And then she ate his cell phone battery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's full of lithium lithium ions. So you, mm-hmm. That's your cell phone battery is a lithium ion battery. And apparently metal ions act as stabilizers for nanites and new, newly assimilated people, which is new techno babble lore. New lore. Apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and so she's out hunting down batteries. <laughs> so we get this screenshot of <laughs> a line of cars with car yeah. batteries that have been yeah. eaten out of them. She, she's been sucking on the car batteries to get the lithium <laughs> ions out of them. It's like, yeah. okay, you do know you're in a human body right now. And that's kind of toxic. That much is kind of going to be kind of toxic to a human body. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, you know, e- eating, ba- eating batteries are bad, okay? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, there should have been a disclaimer on the screen in this. Uh, and, and do not you want, suck car they, batteries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they finally see her, she's got a little bit of the battery acid like on her chin or something like that. You <laughs> oh, know, man. and it's just like, boy, those nanites are doing a good job keeping that body together. <laughs> because if we tried to do that, our body would literally Die. eat itself out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then we uh, they get their butts kicked by by Agnes, who uh, is now wearing combat boots uh, and. Uh, yeah, and Agnes them does, a quite- Darth, does a Darth Vader neck lift on Rafi. <laughs> yes. So she's yeah. holding Rafi up off the ground by her neck. Yep. And and she's about to kill her. And then we hear Agnes's voice off screen say, no. Yeah. And so we know there's an internal struggle going on within Agnes between the queen and yep. Agnes. And Rafi and Seven afterwards deduced that that struggle must be going on. So they know Agnes is still in there somewhere. Right. Well, and they, they show it by Agnes's eyes going from pure black when she's controlling the queen to back to natural coloring. Right. right. You know, so you see that kind of fade in and out as she's being controlled. Mm-hmm. There's still good in her. I sense it. the uh incidentally they they note they in in something of a nod to realism that they then exploit for plot purposes um they note that um these are that agnes is in a make-do situation these are not the standard materials uh and metals and how do you digest Mm -hmm. the metals anyway i guess the nanites do it for you but um these are imperfect metals that she's ingesting they're not borg quality and so because of the imperfect metals there will be imperfect assimilation Mm. and that may that may be a big factor in why the Borg want to join the Federation. These mm-hmm. are not standard Borg. They are imperfect by Borg standards. Mm-hmm. They are imperfectly assimilated. And so they're open to new possibilities like let's join the Federation. Sure. Right. Right. Um, so and that's kind of where we leave Rafi and seven until the end of the episode, which when mm-hmm. they reunited with uh, Picard and, and Guinan. Um, Got a bunch of fun stuff with Corey and uh, yeah. Adam Soong, though. So first yep. we have Corey's she's wearing a VR headset. So she's in the metaverse and she's exploring her dad's lab in the metaverse. Yeah, she's looking there. for evidence that will explain her existence. But she she can't go to the lab personally for some reason. So no, I think to, she's I think she's in the lab. She's just using the VR headset to try to identify possibly significant things. Oh, okay. she was, at least she was standing in her living room there. But she? looking in the lab. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they could have been a little clearer with that. But right. the thing that happens then is Q has left 
a simulacrum of himself, an interactive AI in the VR headset. Mm -hmm. And he shows her exactly what she needs to find in the lab. And he also explains that she's or he I forget if it's him or uh, or Adam that explains she is a clone. She was created by uh, nuclear transfer, which is where you take out the nucleus of a cell Mm -hmm. and put it into another cell that has been denucleated. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't have a nucleus. So you put a new one in it and you will then allow the cell to start dividing. And so this is one of the techniques that will produce clones. The other technique that produces clones is artificial twinning where you take an early zygote and pull it in two, and then they will both keep uh, developing into identical twins. Right. Yeah, it's Sung who actually eventually tells her. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of horrific, that scene where he tells her, you know, he tells her the truth, like, of of her siblings, her or prior clone mm-hmm. incarnations. Yeah. He says, the first dozen of her died in hours. First dozen. And then the next few in over a qu- in days they died in days after birth and then the one before her made it to four but mm-hmm. uh almost almost to four yeah uh and it's just so horrifying like how casually he talks about yeah he's he's totally of these been, children he's totally been timeless childing her oh my yeah. gosh yeah also well, we get an explanation for the names of all the daughters i mean because she, yeah. she she encountered the names of the other daughters last episode, and they were all from Greek mythology. They were like Persephone and and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, Prosperina, and and um, she's realized all of them are daughters of Zeus. Yes, and so that makes Adam Sung see himself as Zeus, the king of the gods. Wow. Yeah. Well, and he even in a later talk where she's leaving, he says, "You you exist because I willed it." Well, yeah. that's language that we use in the church to talk about. We exist because God willed it. Yeah. And, he said, and we continue to exist because he wills it. Yeah. And he's very proud of himself. He says, anyone can procreate, but you exist because I willed it. Oh, yeah. Man. Talk about but arrogant. He, much. <laughs> God complex. Definitely God complex going on there. Yeah. Data, your lineage is really is really problematic. <laughs> what did you say? Data's like the odd man out. Everyone else in his lineage is terrible. Including his brother, yeah. Lord. Including his brother, yeah. Well, well think maybe, about it. Yeah. B4 is not so bad, but <laughs> yeah, but even B4 was damaged. It's like yeah, Data's yeah. the only thing in the Sung Legacy that worked right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Picard seems to be working. He's technically well, now in the soon lineage so because of his body. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So it, it, I, I was just horrified by that, but like as he, how he casually explains this, but he then he tells her that he loves her, but she says, "No, you love your work." And I, in other words, I'm an object that you love, mm-hmm. not a person. And that's and, a really key, key thing. And his defense is, no, I love my work and I love you. Um, and mm-hmm. and she tries to make him to force a choice mm-hmm. between the two to reveal the truth to himself. And he kind of straddles it, um, which is from the show's point of view, not the right answer. Right. Um, but really they would just be sticking with it. No, I can care about my career and I can care about you. That's like most people. Right. right. Well, although she, what she, I think what she's saying is, is you only care about me insofar as I am your legacy. I am a, th- I'm a thing mm-hmm. that you've created, not so much as a, a, for myself. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, and the human thing to do would be to stick with your guns and say, no, I love you. I mean, yes, right. you're my legacy. Parents are proud of their children yes. and, and want them to succeed in life. And children are a parent's legacy. But um, but that doesn't stop them from loving the children from who they are. <laughs> Except he says, instead of doing that, he says, um, reality isn't real. It's what I make it. And I, you exist yeah. because I willed it. <laughs> And that's because he's delusional and has a God complex and I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Um, So, and then we get into how she never had a mother, which there must be some like, well, maybe there's artificial wombs in this timeline or something. He told her stories about her mother, but now she knows mm -hmm. none of them are true. Yeah. So she was gestated somehow, of course, but. uh, Well, I thought they said something like that. She was gestated in like an artificial womb or. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's what it was. There was just kind of a quick line about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's walking away. And that's that's not at all improbable. I mean, we already have it's you should not do this. Yes. But we already have the ability in an artificial environment to take human embryos up to a certain stage. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we have the ability after they're developed to a certain point to take care of them. That's what an incubator is for a child. Um, an incubator is a Mark I artificial womb. So right. all and we've had those for decades. So all you need to do is find something that will bridge that intermediate period. And so we, we, we could, I don't know if we, I've seen could have them today, yeah. but yeah. if not, we could, we will have artificial wombs for the entire nine months very soon. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's given that they're, they're letting Adam Sung have advanced tech that doesn't really exist in the real world. He could easily have an artificial womb. That is simple from a, from a sci-fi yeah. technological perspective. Right. And yeah, right, right now, at least, you still need to have a surrogate mother of some right for some period of time. Yeah. To emphasize, that would be immoral. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right, absolutely. Do immoral. not do this. Incubators on the far end of pregnancy, just fine. Yes. Artificial mm-hmm. womb through the entirety of pregnancy, including in vitro fertilization, not fine. Bad. Very exactly. Bad. Uh, so as she's walking away, Sung, you know, throws at her classic, you know, yelling at her or departing back. You don't exist without me. And then she says, maybe you it's you who don't exist without me, which is mm-hmm. interesting. You are defined by, you know, your legacy, who you are is defined by your work on me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the, the, the and, lesson. And she also talks like a teenage girl explaining, I'm going to freedom. From yep. you. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm surprised there wasn't the, uh, you'll come crawling back. You'll be back. Yeah. You know. But uh, where's she going? <laughs> She's never been in the world. She's just no shoes she, on. She even kicked off her sandals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, pavement gets hot in LA. <laughs> well, she obviously yeah. doesn't know that yet. But, uh, yeah. So that's when in his depths and he's deep in a bottle of something brown, uh, Agnes shows up. At Sung, so she has the great line of, um, "I trust I don't have to give you the lecture on uh, resistance. Not is uh, is not is futile or something." I oh, I assume a lecture on the futility of resistance is not going to be necessary. And uh, yeah. uh, he says, "Is am I dreaming or is this a nightmare?" And she says, "Ultimately, that's up to you." And that's where they have the uh, yeah uh, this so, idea. So she comes to the high tech bachelor pad and says, give me the stuff I need to make nanite so I can assimilate people and I'll leave the planet. And then you can become the father of Earth's future, which I've already seen. So you lose a daughter, but you become the godfather of a world. Right. So she says 
if Renee Picard boards the Europa mission, she makes a mm-hmm. discovery that renders Sung's work obsolete. So whatever right. it is, this, these microbes that she brings back yep. renders all his genetic work unnecessary and obsolete, which has already been um, uh, said to be unethical uh, by the relevant authorities. Authorities and defunded and banned. Yes. But if she doesn't, he becomes the great man who ushers in the fascist future that we see. Right, because there's like an economic collapse or something, and they come to him for help in the wake of it. Economic right. and ecological, and all this other stuff is going to happen. Yeah. Right, as we saw in the, uh, the 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 dystopian future, they have a shield around the planet to keep the ionosphere or something like that. Uh, in. Which happens just look look just like the one that Soong was using over Corey yes, when she was true. outside. Yep, that's right. Good I just made that connection right yeah. now. So. <laughs> uh, so the interesting thing is, is that's a future in which the Borg have been destroyed. But if Agnes gets the Borg, Agnes gets Sung's cooperation, she's going to take over La Serena and prevent that future. So, or maybe not. It's kind of interesting because she's creating this future where the Borg are destroyed. So is, is that? Well, she's creating a future which has, him i mean assuming she's not just lying to him yes she's she's creating mm-hmm. a future that has him on earth and the galaxy is under earth a lot of the galaxy is under terran control but um forewarned is forearmed so yep. she can she, presumably she is thinking i will be assuming she's not lying she's thinking well i will know how to avoid what happened so it won't mm-hmm. be entirely the same as the future i came from so what created that future? That future was created by the one where the Borg are defeated. Was that created by Q? M- messing with Renee? We, that remains to be seen. Uh, in, yeah. Early on, Q denied causing the, um, the shift in the timeline. Right. The shift in the timeline was caused by destroying the queen in the future. Mm-hmm. And that created the, the dystopian future. At least that's what Q was implying. Is this dystopian future happened because of your fear, because you killed that queen instead of instead of talking to her about joining the Federation. And um, and then within the dystopian future, the Borg have been destroyed because of human expansion into the galaxy. But the queen is presumably thinking, I'm going to do something different and Mm. that'll stop that part of that future from happening. Okay. So then we have the first drones being assimilated. And these are ex-special forces of something called the Spearhead Operation or something like that, which we mm-hmm. heard about previously. Spearhead Operations is a military contractor who had, um, Sung had partnered with them to conduct genetic experiments on them. Yep. That was mm-hmm. what, So these are super soldiers, very likely. Yes, they're all Captain America. <laughs> we just put it another way or con. <clears throat> yep. And then we or have con. that, the, the third, um, the Rio subplot, the Rio subplot, which is not much to it. Uh, they're, like you mentioned, Rios and Teresa and her son are aboard the La Serena. Uh, he's showing them around, showing them how the replicator works. Oh, it, and it's, it's like, so you know how kids will take, uh, dolls and make them kiss by smashing their faces together. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this this felt like the writers doing that because they've they've been having um, Teresa be really cold. 
towards right. Crystal Ball in the last few episodes. Ever since ever since she showed up again, she's mm-hmm. she's been on edge with him and he's been subtly conveying he's interested in her and then not so subtly. Yes. Well, in this episode, they're just taking Barbie and Ken and smashing their faces together because <laughs> um, they get on the ship. The little boy is running around doing stuff and they, and Teresa and Rios are having a conversation and Teresa is like, OK, she 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 wants him to open up and tell him about himself, tell her about himself. And the way she does it is so on the nose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, OK, so pretend that you and I have been married for 10 years. And we've just gone on this date and blah, blah, blah. And she's spinning this elaborate conversation marriage fantasy with yeah. him and says, and then you tell me something that I've never known for te- about you for 10 years. What is it? <laughs> and it's like, um, it's that you, is a bizarre t- conversation. You just, yeah. you just spun an elaborate <laughs> marriage fantasy conversation scenario. <laughs> um, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> so, do you do this with all your Tinder dates or something? Yeah, like this? yeah. it's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> like, and. It's this super intimate fantasy truth thing. And wow. Okay. Suddenly she's very aggressive. Yeah. And then they kiss. Yeah. And then he tells her that he loves her, basically, that he's falling in love with her. Uh, That's his secret. Yeah. The secret was the moment I fell in love with you was, and then they get interrupted. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. Uh, I do have to say that the most realistic part of this was if you give a kid a replicator, the first thing he's going to replicate is a bunch of cake. Yeah. <laughs> cake or candy <laughs> yes. or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> not just a, chicken soup. No, 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 not a PB and J. So, and that's, that's, that's all we really see them apart from the discovering that the transporters are offline because of the board code in it. That was and, the other and, and they have a plan to deal with that. They're going to go back to supervisor Talon and use her transporter to get around. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's so, the thing is, is uh, Rafi and seven and Picard have reunited at the 10 forward Ave bar. Uh, presumably Guinan is now done. I mean, she kind of says goodbye to them. So that's, I, I'm going to guess that we won't see her in the last two episodes here, at least Guinan anyway. Um, and uh, their so their idea is to go get Talon's transporter because Talon has been absent of this entire episode, and yeah. I found that was mm-hmm. kind of odd. Like after all of that from the last episode, where you know exploring Picard's mind, Talon is gone. Nothing about that. It looks like based on the previews that next the next episode will will get back to that. But it was just kind of this weird like we're just going to drop that for a whole episode and Talon and everything, all of that. Mm, yeah. That's OK. And really, this is this is a 10 hour mo- or well, seven hour movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't have a problem with them dropping Talon uh, because they had they needed to she they needed to focus on these other plot elements. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're going to need to somehow deal with the, the special forces who have been assimilated to uh, who are going to be yeah. trying to take the last reign, which I, I guess like it's oh, they're not going to take be enough- it there. I've seen previews where, yeah, OK, they're in control, um, yeah. but obviously they will cease to be in control at some point. Um, mm-hmm. Next episode is called Hide and Seek. Yeah. And so yep. we can expect a kind of cat and mouse game for the fate of La Serena. 
I think it also is going to have something to do with Picard's mom as well, mm-hmm. the hide and seek element. So there'll be mm-hmm. a little of both. Could be. So any uh, last notes on this episode before we get to our feedback, Father Corey? I love Q's insult to Guinan when he first sees her, sees her. And you're that multi-celled, sanctimonious, droning shrew. I love that multi-cell <laughs> was an insult. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, anything else? So, oh, Father? No, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. So I've just been thinking about all the plot lines we've got to tie up in the next two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope they tie some of them up uh, in episode nine, because it, the episode 10 will need to breathe. Yeah. Um, you're going to need a significant post-climax denouement in order to pay off the emotional energy. We have to go back to the Shire. Now, we don't need to spend 40 <laughs> minutes in the Shire. <laughs> right, right. But after yeah. the Shire has been saved, we need to spend some time in it so we can appreciate what's been saved. And... Um, and and so you don't want a Star Trek Voyager like ending where you see the promised land cut to black. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so we've we need to um, find out what's missing with Picard's mother mm-hmm. <clears throat> because they said there's something else that's relevant. So we need to find out what's the missing information about Picard's mother what is what is going on with Q? Mm-hmm. You know, why is Q around? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Right. We need to deal with what happens if we now don't kill the Borg Queen. Right. We need to find out what's going to happen with Picard's relationship with Laris. Yeah. And we need to at least gesture at the fates of the other characters, like what's going to happen with Seven and Rafi in the future. What's going to happen? We need more on Elnor. We need the Elnor plotline resolved. Mm-hmm. He needs to come back. Uh, we mm-hmm. need to know what happens with Crystal Ball, Teresa, and their son. Um, do they come to the future or does he stay in the 21st century? But something's got to be resolved there. Um, and w- how do we defeat the queen? With yep. Queen Agnes, or mm-hmm. exactly what happens with her? And what happens so, with Adam Sung too? And and Adam Sung and, and Corey. Corey. Yeah. yeah. So we've yep. got a bunch of plot lines dangling, and a, we're going to need a lot of resolutions in the next two episodes. And I hope they yeah. spread them between the two episodes so that it's not all crammed into the last one with no time to breathe. Right. Yeah. All, all that in about an hour and a half to two hours total airtime. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot <laughs> to do because then, yeah, we've got to have this this reconfrontation with the masked queen on the bridge of the stargazer that has to resolve itself. And then after mm-hmm. and all of this is supposed to be about teaching Picard some kind of lesson. So we need to it's like what's Picard's character arc in this? How what's the lesson he needs to learn from all this? I think it's going to end up being Picard and Laris. Um, yeah. To me, the only question is, is does Pinocchio become a real boy? Uh, I wonder if that's yeah. a huge parting gift. To I assume Picard. he's fully functional. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. but is he still going to be a robot or can we bring him back to life? Um, that would be nice, feeling, but I don't think they will. Uh, no. my, I have a prediction, perhaps feeling that this is Q's um, farewell. Final. Yep. Yeah. He is going to die. And I, and I think that's actually what he's going to do. Is, now that I think about it is as he goes, he's going to grant Picard, you know, that his final wish of making him a real boy sort of again. 
That would so. be nice, but I don't know that they're going to do that. I know. I kind of wish I think, I'm, I'm, I think they like the fact that Picard is a robot now. Mm. They keep bringing it up in, in positive ways. So Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get to our feedback, our listener feedback. Our first feedback comes from John Gilchrist via email, who says, I have a rough theory that the Q Continuum, the Alorians, and the Watchers are all part of a larger, albeit fractured, contingent which ensures humanity and or the galaxy stays on a predetermined course the watchers watch different significant people on different planets but don't interfere the alorians are assigned to planets to listen and observe and the q are hands-on and may manipulate events by most any means q is assigned to humanity and picard in particular because of picard's vast importance to human and galactic history at first, Cuba grudges his assignment to humanity and Picard, as seen throughout each series he appears. However, I think he's since come to admire Picard and humanity in ways he will not, at least not, has yet to, admit. Something is going wrong in the predetermined course of events Q has been assigned to protect, and this results in Q's current instability and lost power. For Q, it is a race to get things back on track before the fate of the galaxy falls apart, and he and anyone else is powerless to fix it. So, um... I don't know if that still fits now that we know that Q's real problem is that he's dying. But I and and I just don't feel like it fits that the Q would be part of something bigger uh, that you know, working I, with I, others. I think it's kind of stretching in general. I don't I don't see that the Watchers and the Lorians have to be even even connected in any way. Yeah, they just could be you know, have similar powers. But that doesn't mean that they have to be in that the Lorians are taking a position of, you know, that, that Guinan is actually on Earth to be a listener yeah. to what's going on. Because that doesn't, is, as I recall, it's been a while since I've seen uh, Times Arrow, the episode where she's back in the back in San Francisco. I don't recall that being a part of it. She was there just to have fun. Yeah, yeah just she's if there, I remember. She, there's nothing about she's on a mission in yeah. Times Arrow. Yeah. She's just there. Um, and you could explain that in any number of ways. Um, I think it's true that Q has grown to respect and appreciate Picard. That's definitely mm -hmm. true. Um, P Q is not in the same position with respect to Picard that he was at Encounter in Farpoint. Right. Um, in Encounter at Farpoint. Um, so there's definitely a bond there that Q appreciates way more than Picard does. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, and exactly how they pay that out, we'll have to see. I, I we know so little about the supervisors people that I don't know how they fit into the picture, but they seem to be on a technological level that's equivalent to Starfleet. Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. don't seem to be, you know, super more advanced. Um, the Elarians also don't seem to be super more advanced, though they obviously have some abilities that allow them to maybe hold their own in a fight with, um, I, uh, put it this way. So um, I think the Elorians are kind of like North Korea. Um, <laughs> we could co totally, the U.S., could totally stomp North Korea if we chose to militarily mm -hmm. there's there's just no way they could survive a full-on onslaught from the u.s but they've got nukes right and we don't want to we don't we don't want to we don't want to get into a nuclear war if we don't have to and so um i think that kind of describes the relationship between the elarians and the q continuum the the elarians are enough that they could do damage 
to the Q continuum if they had to. But mm-hmm. um, I think the Q could ultimately stomp the Elorians. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So our uh, next feedback comes from Hot Glue Gunslinger on Patreon, who says, uh, so you mentioned in your review of Monsters that Guinan was unlikely to have the one bottle of the Q Peace Treaty. In my head, mm-hmm. my head canon, I imagine it like this. The Elorians captured this moment in a bottle, a full bottle. But in this episode, we see that when Guinan summoned a Q, she poured out little more than a single shot. In my head canon, I'm guessing that this exchange between the Alorians filled an entire bottle and it was redistributed to many smaller bottles and given to those Alorians at the highest levels. Ergo, Guinan has this particular bottle, but not the one bottle. So, sure. Yeah, nope, that, would, that would explain it. That's an acceptable head canon. Yeah, that's acceptable. It'll work. Almost um, any head canon is acceptable, but that one would <laughs> <yeah>. explain it. <laughs> as, long as, it as long as it doesn't contradict known, known uh, canon, that's, yep. that's fine. Good. Thank you. And, and, but by the way, Jimmy, you, you accidentally said Encounter Farpoint and corrected yourself on Encounter at Farpoint. The title Encounter Farpoint sounds so much more dramatic and exciting an episode than the episode actually <laughs> <Encounter> was. <Farpoint>, <laughs> yeah. That would be a better episode. All right. Let's wrap things up. We want to take a I moment. Just, to- also, it's like, what's with Farpoint? Why would you even call yourself that? Farpoint. I mean, that's Farpoint yeah. is... Think about the branding committee meeting that they had to decide we're going to call ourselves Farpoint <laughs> well, Station. It's like, yeah, that'll encourage people to go there if you emphasize how far away it is from them. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, kind of like Deep Space Nine sitting <laughs> yeah. around a planet. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> deep Space from what? Which not Deep Space from Bajor? Yeah. All right. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> All right. Let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Aaron B, Mark S, Karen V, Brett A, and Elizabeth K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of Star Trek Picard Mercy. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or you can send an email to Trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Picard called Hide and Seek. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Thank you, and resistance is futile. I mean, live long and prosper. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the trap is immaterial. It's the escape that counts. 